It's time for another bonus episode, and it's on my favorite topic, college hockey. You won't want to miss this bonus episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Welcome back to the Indie Ball Report podcast. It's a bonus episode. I am Nick and I'm alone today. I tried to get other people, but there really wasn't too many people to grab from. So it's just me. It's a bonus episode. It's on college hockey. We're not going to talk baseball at all. So if you're here for baseball, you might as well just click off now. If you're here for the personality, then you might as well stay. Or if you're here for the college hockey, no, this is not a regular thing. We normally don't talk about this. So best on you. That said... College hockey is about to go into its Frozen Four, or it's kind of March Madness for those that are unaware of what the Frozen Four is. It is the top 16 teams in the country. They will all compete. We have six teams that had an automatic in. We have 10 teams that fought for at-large bids. And now we have a bracket and a tournament that starts on Friday at 1 o'clock. And it runs through the weekend, essentially. And then we swing back around that second week in April for the uh semifinal and championship rounds and I am here to break down this bracket break down the selections break down the matchups break down uh, how I would have seeded the brackets and how I would have set up the regions and whatnot and then of course give you my predictions as to what will happen and who will win the national championship for division one men's college hockey so without further ado we should just kind of dive headlong into this whole uh, adventure here And so originally when I first started recording this and got about nine minutes in, uh, the original plan I was going with was I'll break down all the one seeds and all the two seeds and so on and so forth here, but it really doesn't work as well. I think we're better off just kind of talking about the teams that were in, teams that maybe should have been in that weren't in, and then we'll break down matchups from there. And I think that's probably the most efficient way of doing it. So we'll kind of just look through these 16 teams all in all. I don't really have much of a problem with the teams they got in. Some of the borderline teams, like, say, in Omaha, they, uh, they, I'm fine with them being there as a four seed. I think they played a difficult schedule. They definitely played in the toughest uh, conference in college hockey. They certainly were playing against, you know, some of the more top teams. They played against the number one seed in the tournament in North Dakota an awful lot. They played against the two seed in St. Cloud an awful lot. They played against a team like Denver, which had the third strongest strength of schedule uh, across the board all year. They also played against uh, Minnesota Duluth, another tournament team. They, the point is they played a lot of tournament teams. They played a difficult schedule, so I'm cool with them being in there. I was championing them. Uh, Bemidji State, again, a team which was de- certainly a borderline team. Uh, no outstanding player there, 15-9-3, so a winning record. Uh, I didn't really see any too early too many quality wins out of them, but I did think they played well enough to, again, earn a four spot. Um, Realistically, there's only one team here, which if you've kind of followed college hockey and the media and the atmosphere around it, you'll know exactly which team I'm about to mention that I think really has no business being in this tournament. And uh, that team is Notre Dame. They are the supposed 15th seed and I got to be honest, I I think the reason Notre Dame is in, despite what some members of the committee that selected this field said, is really they saw a chance to have Notre Dame play Boston College. It would be good for ratings. And all in all, they want the bigger name school in. 
And in my opinion, there is at least bare minimum four or five teams that deserved consideration in that spot over them. And I'll go into those teams in just one second here, but a 14-13-2 Notre Dame team that got bounced by Penn State in the first round, a team that was arguably the worst team in the Big Ten uh, this past year, which, grant you, the Big Ten was probably the second-best conference in college hockey this year. And I just... They they didn't play anybody of real note here. If you want to go by the metrics, which I grant you are flawed this year because there really wasn't much interconference play, COVID obviously being the main issue there, but they were both 25th in both of those categories here. So I have a really difficult time putting them in over a team like, say, Army that's 12th in par-wise, or Providence that's 22nd in par-wise, or Bowling Green that's 9th in par-wise. I mean, we could keep going. Lowell deserves consideration. Hell, they were higher than them. Denver was only one spot behind. And they had the third strongest schedule. Notre Dame had the 23rd strongest schedule. A notable wins for Notre Dame came two against Michigan, the third and fourth games of the year, when you had an extremely young Michigan team. Grant you, they are very talented, as we'll discuss later on. But still, in the very young team finding their footing, and then a Minnesota team that, you know, they were kind of on a skid there for a little bit when they lost those two games. So you had your 4-7-1 against tournament teams, and yeah, out of all the other ones, it's one of the better records. Denver's 5-11, two wins against North Dakota, three against Omaha. So take it for what it's worth there, but I just don't prescribe to the logic that the committee used there. They said, oh, well, we want the deciding factor for us was wins against tournament teams or your record against tournament teams. And like, I, I grant you that I get that, but it's not like you have schools that are that far off. I mean, you have a Providence team that's two, five and one with a win against uh, BU and UMass and playing UMass fairly well, I'd say in that, in their tournament appearance for their conference. Yeah. Third round, it was a five, two loss to UMass, but still they played them tough. And, Again, like Bowling Green, they, I mean, I grant you Bowling Green, 20th for strength of schedule, so still a tougher schedule than Notre Dame, mind you. And their real big ticket wins were one against Bemidji and two against Quinnipiac, which is a team which, as you'll learn in a minute, I'm not exactly high on. So I'm fine if you want to say, okay, well, we'll leave out the 18-10-1 Bowling Green team because they really have no signature win. If you want to leave Denver out, fine, they're... 10, 13, and 1. You can't expect to be sub 500 and make the tournament. That should be, I can be okay with that. So if you want to use that for your reason for throwing UConn out too, and the fact that UConn got throttled by Providence in the Hockey East tournament, then I'm okay with that. I'm fine with that. If that's your reasoning there, that's okay. I agree with that. I think you need to be 500 or better to make the tournament. I think your record needs to mean something. I understand, especially when it comes to Hockey East schools, the record's not exactly the fairest way here because their schedule is all messed up and it became a you don't know who you're playing week by week and UConn got a really bad draw playing a lot of competitive teams, playing the Boston area teams heavily, which are you know extremely good teams. And I mean, you saw against their tournament team record, they played eight games against them. I mean, the only... It's... The only thing that I could say there is a, a bit of a... Oh, that's Providence's record there. UConn's record was 1-6-1 and one because, again, they drew a really a bad lot. I mean, eight games still is is not great. But they did have a win against BC, which is nice. Second best team in the country. So 
like again i understand why you toss those two out i understand why the fans of those teams would be saying oh maybe they should be in but fine even throw that aside you want to throw say like robert morris and uh army out i get it robert morris again no real signature win on their whole resume uh, they didn't play a tournament team, period. They never got the chance to even play their the conference champion that got the auto in. So you could toss them right out too. You could toss out Army if you want, although I think they warranted some discussion. Um, 15-6-1, uh, win against AIC. 1-3 though against tournament teams. So I understand that you want to toss them out. Plus their strength of schedule is 40th in the country. So you can very well make the argument they wouldn't have been 15-win team. They wouldn't have been a 15-win team if they played a more difficult schedule. That's all well and good. We still have to have a discussion about Lowell. We still have to have a discussion about Providence here still. So I want to know what the justification here is. You have a team or two teams that are better par-wise, have better winning percentages, and all in all, just look like a better team. They're just better teams. Like, why is Notre Dame in this? Like, conference strength-wise, they played in Hockey East. That's comparable to the Big Ten. There's no real reason, in my mind, why they should be, you know, left outside. And again, you want to look at the wins they had. I think BU and UMass, maybe not on the same level, and then in Lowell's case, BC and BU, an amazing hockey tournament from Lowell, which if Lowell would have made it, that would have knocked Notre Dame right out of this because UMass would have taken that last open spot there. But still, like I understand if you want to compare the two wins and say, well, Michigan and Minnesota, you have the third best team in the nation, the eighth best team in the nation versus a BU team that's more like, the 12th or 13th best team in the nation, and then a, uh, a UMass team that's more like the the ninth or so, but our 10th best team in the nation, something like that. I understand that argument. Like, I get it. But at the same time, I, I don't agree with it. I, I just think if they're a ranked team, they played a more difficult schedule. Hockey East had its own complications there. All in all, it should matter for something. Plus, once again, if we want to look to strength of schedule... Providence was 22nd, Notre Dame was 23rd, Lowell was 28th. It's not like there, there's a chasm here. It's not like I'm saying, oh, I'll take Army over them where it's 17 teams in between. There's five teams that are in between Notre Dame and Lowell. Hell, Providence is better than them. There's just, there's no real justification here. And then, like, what's the argument then? Like, oh, well, they did well in the conference tournament. They got bounced in the first round of Penn State. To Penn State, that's not a good team. For the indie, for the indie ball fans that are listening here, to put this in perspective, it's like if you got bounced from the postseason by, it'd be like if you got bounced by the 2019 Lancaster Barnstormers. That'd be a good comparable. That's the team that bounced you. That that's who they got bounced by. And even still, you were favored. You were the only team with home ice because it was essentially. Uh, a pod-like setup out of Notre Dame's campus. They played on their rink. And you you still lost 6-3. It wasn't even a close game. You parent the Providence that went to the third round of Hockey East tournament, the semifinal, and then they lost 5-2 to UMass, a team that made the tournament. And again, like if you really want to, Lowell went to the final and lost 1-0 to UMass. There is serious consideration here for those other teams. And again, I think it just comes down to they saw a brand name in Notre Dame. 
they saw an opportunity to have it be a bit of a rivalry matchup in that Albany region. And all in all, I, I disagree with Notre Dame being in here. I think Providence deserved that spot, which is something I didn't expect to be saying a month ago. I thought Providence was dead in the water, but times change. And along with those times uh, come with uh, who deserves to be where. And this is just one of those times where, where Providence deserves to have that final spot, I think. And I understand you don't, I don't believe you can have uh, in-conference matchups in that first round, but there's an easy solution to that. Move Omaha over to the Albany and put Providence in Loveland. And then Providence is playing Minnesota and you have Omaha playing Boston College. That's solution. There, there it is. It's solved. You can move Bemidji around. Hell, you could put American International against BC and put Providence against North Dakota. There's a lot of solutions to this. And I don't want to complain all that much, even though I've been spending like seven, eight minutes complaining about it. Uh, because, like I said, the other 15 teams in the tournament are worthy of their spots. And I will say this much. We do know Providence was the unofficial 17th team that if, because we passed the COVID deadline, if a team would have tested positive and had to withdraw from the tournament, Providence would have taken their spot. Uh, now you have all the Providence players signing their pro contracts. So obviously uh, that, that ship has sailed. But even still, I just, I think Providence should have had that spot. The other 15 are good, and if I'm Notre Dame, I'm thanking St. Lawrence for not being able to accept their auto in, because otherwise Notre Dame would not be in this tournament right now, and St. Lawrence would be uh, playing Boston College, and I'd be complaining about that. But uh, regardless, I do on that note want to spend just a second here to just talk about how I would have structured this bracket, because this is one of the things that took a lot of college hockey fans by surprise. We were under the impression that... Um, regionality would matter more so than any than ever before already it's an open secret that you do keep in mind the integrity of the bracket but you also pay attention to where each of these teams are because you want to try and boost the attendance in these regional locations this has kind of been a bee in the bonnet of a lot of uh, college hockey fans they say look we can't really sell out these venues they never really sell out for these regionals why don't we just host them on you know campus tournaments like we'll host it on the campuses so if you're a one seed, you get the benefit of essentially having two home games. And then when you go to your the, to the semifinal and the final is hosted at the same location, normally an NHL rink, then, you know, then we get the neutral play. Obviously, there's pros and cons to that. But that aside, it's always kind of been if you have East Coast teams, keep them in the East. If you have... Uh, Western teams, keep them in the West. If you have a regional in Minnesota, you put the Minnesota teams there, if at all possible. When there's a regional in North Dakota, you put North Dakota there. And that kind of a deal. So we kind of assumed, okay, well, we're going to want to limit travel. So if a team can bus somewhere, they're going to try and keep those teams close to busing and minimize the flying as much as possible. That didn't happen. And when, when we go through the bracket, you'll see what I mean. It just straight up didn't happen. So that definitely took me by surprise, took a lot of people by surprise. And I think personally, I could have come up with some better matchups here that would have been a lot more interesting than what we got. So this is what I'm about to go through here is what my bracket would have looked like. And this does feature Providence over Notre Dame. So I do want to reference that. This is not the official bracket. This is my bracket. 
this is what I would have drawn up for the 2021 uh, Division I Men's Ice Hockey Championship, I not what the committee drew up. We'll get into what the committee drew up in just a minute. If you are not interested in the hypotheticals, always with the scenarios, then just go to the show notes and maybe even the description of the uh, episode itself, and I'll put a a timestamp in there that you could just skip ahead to. If this is something of interest to you, then by all means, uh, continue listening. So for me, I would have had North Dakota and Bemidji and St. Cloud and Duluth. That would have been out of the Fargo region or the Midwest region. This is simply because we have three Minnesota teams and the North Dakota team. It keeps them all there. Everyone can bust in to Fargo. We can minimize the travel and it'll just be all in all uh, an easier solution. And it'll keep things a lot tighter. Plus, a Bemidji-North Dakota matchup is a lot more interesting. Yes, Bemidji's not a true 16 seed. So, the integrity of the bracket is a bit questionable there. Yes, St. Cloud is probably a bit better than an 8 seed. Duluth's a solid 9 seed. I think they're a 9 seed in the actual bracket as well. So, it, it just seems to me like that's your better matchup. Plus, you guarantee yourself a good second round matchup. Either you have an all-Minnesota final... Or you have North Dakota taking on either a rival in St. Cloud that they just beat to win the conference postseason tournament. And if that's not St. Cloud, then it's Duluth, who has had traditionally a rivalry with North Dakota. Duluth won the last two national championships, 2018-2019. So in a sense, they're three years reigning champions. You'd have a very nice matchup there because Duluth, you know, is going to play their heart out. And it's just going to be four competitive games, or three competitive games out of that region. And you know you're going to get a good Frozen Four finalist there. Uh, We go to the East region in Bridgeport. I had BC as as your one there, with AIC as the four in that region. Uh, that's just obvious. You have two teams in Massachusetts. It minimizes the travel there and it keeps it all well and tight there. This is the first kind of travely bit. I do have Michigan heading out there. Michigan was going to have to fly wherever. So I'm putting them out east. It just makes sense to me to have them out in the east. They take on Boston University, which is again another school that can just bust the Bridgeport. That's three buses to Bridgeport. Uh, BU is a solid three seed. Michigan is definitely a two seed. Boston College definitely a one seed. AIC is definitely a four seed. It just makes sense there. Uh, It really doesn't matter how you make it. AIC is kind of a spoiler candidate. They knocked off the number one overall seed in St. Cloud in 2019. They're traditionally a scrappy little team that can, you know, upset. Atlantic Hockey has a history of knocking off highly rated teams, top one seeds in the first round and then losing in the second round. So you have that interest there. And then Michigan and BU, I think, is a little bit closer of a game than some people would imagine, although I think Michigan probably runs away with it. We go now to the West region in Loveland. I have Minnesota versus Omaha, Mankato versus uh, Lake Superior State. These are all almost certainly fly-in. Everyone had to fly into Loveland. There was just no way around that. And uh, so you might as well have the teams that really had no other options for busing. There's a case we made that maybe you make St. Cloud go out to Loveland and you have Mankato over in uh, North Dakota's region but all things considered I don't really uh, I don't really think it's that big of a difference I think they're fairly comparable there Uh, Minnesota Omaha Omaha plays a really tough game they play when you think hockey you think what Omaha plays I wouldn't say they're unskilled but they certainly aren't highly skilled 
across the whole team. They are a team that will play physical. They will grind you down. And if Seville is playing well in net, they are a very tough team to beat. Primu's a very solid player as well. So that's a team that could give Minnesota fits and would make it interesting. Mankato and Lake Superior, I understand they are in conference. So uh, you may have to switch them around. Maybe you move uh, Mankato out and put St. Cloud in there to avoid the in-conference matchup. But if you don't, then, I mean, they're extremely comparable teams. If you put St. Cloud in there, St. Cloud and Lake Superior, I think a lot more comparable than people want to imagine. And Mankato versus Duluth is about the same as well. Uh, Then you go over to the final region, the Albany region. You make Wisconsin fly out there. You put Providence in there. You could, in theory, bus it. I'm not sure Providence would be game for that or not, but that's a fairly even matchup. Each of them have high-end talent. Wisconsin's high-end talent is better. I still expect Wisconsin to win it, but I think that game's closer than people want to acknowledge. And then uh, UMass Amherst versus Quinnipiac. Again, two teams which I think are closer than people want to acknowledge, but it just makes sense. You have, again, a Massachusetts school and a Connecticut school. You put them in New York. If you really want to, you could put uh, Quinnipiac in Boston University's spot. And that would probably be better for mileage, but you do want to keep alive the hope of a BCBU uh, regional final. So that is my kind of makeshift bracket. I would have rather seen that as your matchups. I think they're a bit more competitive than what we're about to discuss. I think they're a bit more interesting than what we're about to discuss. But uh, still, by and large, I'm pretty happy with the bracket this year, with, of course, the exception of Notre Dame and the way that they just openly ignore travel. Let's get into breaking down this bracket and giving my predictions as to who's going to win, who's going to go to the Final Four, and ultimately who's going to be the national championship or national champion. We'll start at the top of the bracket and work our way down. We start with the Fargo region and North Dakota versus American International College. North Dakota 21-5-1, American International 15-3-0. This is a March 26th game so it's a Friday game 9:30 on ESPN 3 I am still kind of burning over that I would have thought you would have wanted the arguably the best television audience team on television and not ESPN 3 because North Dakota travels extremely well in the show notes I will drop links to you know what you can expect from North Dakota faithful there and if you watch those links uh, I will assure you you will be impressed all in all here, I want to make this more competitive than it really is. Uh, I am afraid of American International in the sense of Atlanta hockey just has this tendency of knocking off top teams. They fall apart in the next round, but they just have a knack for overachieving. And American International, a lot of the guys on the team that won in 2019 that knocked off St. Cloud in the same pole position that time are still on this team. And so it does spook me a bit. I will I will admit that. That said, though, North Dakota is the best offensive team in the country. They're just a hair under four goals a game. They're the fifth best defensive team in the country when it comes to goals against per game. They are a high-scoring team. They run an efficient penalty kill. They run an efficient power play. They are just deep beyond belief they can roll four lines they can roll three defensive pairs and they have a solid goaltender in net there is no real weak spot sure AIC has a couple of players that can really make a push 
I still don't expect this to be that difficult. I expect it to be closer than I'd like it to be, but I think in the end it winds up being, say, 3-1 or 4-2, something like that. I think it's a two-goal win for North Dakota. I think they're on to the regional final uh, the following night. We go to the, the second matchup in the Fargo region, and that is probably the one I'm looking forward to the most. It is also March 26th. It is a 4 o'clock start. It's on ESPNU. It is Minnesota Duluth versus Michigan. Michigan is 15-10-1. Minnesota Duluth is 14-10-2. Pretty comparable records playing in the number one and number two conferences in the country. Michigan has more high-end talent. I could try to rattle off all the high-end talent they have, but I would probably forget some. You have guys like Thomas Bordalo, Cam York, John Beecher, Owen Power, just the names keep going here. Uh, Eric Cerarelli. These are guys that are all NHL draft picks, NHL talent, and a lot of them are first rounders or projected to be top five in the draft. These are this is just such a high power team like that. And Strauss Manonette is one of the best goaltenders in the country, and arguably the best or the top uh, undrafted free agent goaltender in the country this year. They are just a very difficult team to beat. That said, they're also a very young team. They are a team that can be prone to mistakes. You don't go 15-10-1 and not make mistakes. Minnesota Duluth was also a very good team until they hit a bit of a rut, where it was about a six-week stretch where they won like two or three games out of about 12 or so they played. It wasn't a great stretch for them at all, but they are also an older team. They're a team that's won the last two national championships. They know how to win. They have some talent in there as well, not as much as past years grant you. And really what this matchup comes down to is whether or not you value experience over talent. And if we're going straight up on paper, Michigan seems like an obvious slam dunk option because, you know, just pure high-end talent. And there comes a certain point where high-end talent can just bail you out. You know, that there's only so much hard work can make up for. And there's no argument from anybody here. Michigan's a more talented team. That said, I'm picking Duluth because they know how to win. They're a scrappy team. They still do have talent. They played a tough schedule throughout the year. They ultimately, I think, are going to pull this out. I think we're going to see an NCHC, the best conference in college hockey, final for the regional here. It's going to be North Dakota. It's going to be Duluth. It's going to be at 730 on March 27th, that Saturday, it'll be on ESPNU, and I think you're going to see North Dakota come out of this region against Duluth. I think it is a, a mighty big hill for them to get over Michigan. Let me be clear about that. That game's probably going to wind up being like a 3-2 to two game. It's going to be a hard-fought game. It's going to be a very tight-knit game. North Dakota shouldn't have to struggle that much against AIC. As I said, it'll be closer than we think, but that still doesn't mean that you're struggling. I mean, we've all watched games before where the score was maybe a tie game even, maybe even down one, but there was never a moment where you thought, oh, that team's going to lose, and they wound up winning. We've all watched games like that, especially in hockey, and I think we're going to see that kind of a thing out of the American International North Dakota game. And so if that's the case, North Dakota has a very nice crews in here. They're not getting beaten up as much. They have an extra day to maybe get uh, Bernard Docker back, who's been hurt, to maybe get Mark Senden back, who's been hurt. And if you're able to put either one of those guys back into that lineup, if they're not able to go on Friday, then 
that just makes an already stacked North Dakota team the deepest team in college hockey even deeper. And again, there is a major benefit to being able to roll out four lines constantly, to be able to run three defensive pairs constantly. You're not putting as much grind on that top six and those top two deep pairs to bail you out. And again, just such a talented team like that. I do expect Duluth to give fits. I am afraid of Duluth. Let me get that straight here. I'd rather have Michigan, to be quite honest. I think Michigan's an easier team to play than Duluth is. That said, I still expect to beat Duluth. I expect it to be about a 4-3 game. I think it's going to be really hard fought. The North Dakota seniors all came back, which is very rare to return a full senior class, as in they were all juniors and they all every junior came back. That's super rare. And are this class in Duluth clearly wants their legacy to be every national championship that our class played in, we won. When you have that as your legacy, that that's a dynasty type thing that they're on the verge of having here. And so you're going to play your heart out for that on top of the obvious. I still think the, that North Dakota on just sheer talent and grind and ability alone pulls it out. But that will be a close game. It'll definitely be a fun game to watch. And I'm certainly looking forward to it. We go now to the next region. We go over to the Albany region. Boston College, Notre Dame. It is Saturday, March 27th. A 1 p.m. start time on ESPN News. Boston College, 17-5-1. North, uh, Notre Dame, 14-13-2. Uh, and two. I don't think this is going to be much of a fight at all. I think Boston College is just going to kind of steamroll. Guys like Alex Newhook, Spencer Knight... And the rest of the fun brigade are just going to kind of steamroll them. Notre Dame really doesn't have much. I don't even think they should be in this tournament. I kind of expect BC to blow them out, to be quite honest. I think it's going to be like a 4-1 game and not really look that uh, that close. So I expect Boston College to advance. St. Cloud at 17-10-0. And, and Boston University at 10-4-1 is the next game in that region. It's a 6-30 start time on Saturday and is on ESPN News as well. This is a tough one here because I don't believe BU is that great of a team. You never know what you're going to get. They lost to Merrimack and struggled to beat Merrimack the following night, uh, not too long ago, only about uh, two or three weeks ago. And that's certainly concerning to me. Merrimack's a program you should be beating fairly consistently if you're a program like BU. So you never really know what BU team you're going to get. On the flip side, St. Cloud is historically not good in tournaments. They historically find new ways to lose. They got bounced early in 18. They got bounced early in 19. So in 21, are they not going to get bounced early? Uh, I don't know. I will say, watching them play North Dakota in the NCHC championship game, St. Cloud impressed me a lot. They are certainly a really strong team, and I, I do certainly... Uh, expect them to play well. I expect them to outplay BU and I expect them to win. I think they do buck the trend. They're not going to lose again. And BU, quite frankly, I don't think it's a tough enough team to put up much of a fight against them. I Like you said, uh, they lack the talent and you never know what you're going to get. The consistency there is uh, definitely an issue with them. So I expect St. Cloud to advance there to play Boston College. And, uh, and with that said, the Sunday at 5.30... On ESPN2 regional final in Albany between Boston College and St. Cloud. I think it's going to be Boston College. I think this could be one of the most fun games of the tournament. Both teams, I think, are a lot more evenly matched than you would expect. Uh, obviously, they each have 17 wins. St. Cloud played uh, four more games, so they have more losses, of course. But 
evenly strength is probably the best way to describe it. Both have good goaltending. Both have quality forward groups and quality defensive groups as well. I think Boston College still comes out with this. They've been the number one or number two team in the nation essentially the whole way through. And I, I got to believe Spencer Knight steps up. And if Spencer Knight steps up, he's extremely difficult to beat. And again, uh, high-level talent like Alex Newhook is kind of enough to push you over the edge, I would say. Uh, so that with that said, we have two of our uh, Frozen Four teams in North Dakota and Boston College picked. We go to the next region, which is in Loveland. It is Minnesota versus Omaha. Minnesota 23-6. and six, Omaha 14-10-1. And, and a Saturday, March 27th at 10 p.m. on ESPNU start time. I think Minnesota should win this game, but like I said, Omaha plays a very difficult game. They play a grinding game. They play a physical game. They play a game where you can very easily get trapped by them, and you could lose to them. You have to keep up with them. That said, I still believe Minnesota is one of, if not the best team in the nation, and uh, I expect them to perform well. This is a team that was hitting their stride before the tournament got canceled last year. They've kind of just carried that momentum into this year. With the exception of a, a bad week or two here or there, they've looked very strong. And while North Dakota is a prohibitive favorite, and Minnesota is essentially the UNC to North Dakota's Duke, huge rivals here, I do have to tip my cap to them. There were points in this year where they were simply the best team in college hockey. And I do think that people are, I don't think people are sleeping on them, but I think there may be a bit of an East Coast bias towards OBC should be able to run through them on their way to the championship game. And I really, I wouldn't say that. I, like I said, I think Omaha's going to put up a fight. Premier's going to do well. Tyconic's going to do well. Seville will probably play very well. But of course, with Seville and the whole Omaha team as a whole, if you score one on them and then quickly answer with another one within two minutes, they start to fall apart. And there's about a five-minute window there where you can really light them up. And at that point, if he gets lit up for three or four, a team like Minnesota is not going to surrender that kind of a lead. They're too good to do that. So, like I said, I have Minnesota going on there, and I, I'm going to say this much. I would be shocked if their run ends before the Frozen Four, because the following matchup here, the 5 o'clock one that precedes this game uh, on the 27th, it's on ESPN3, is probably, it's arguably the most evenly matched game. But also, equally speaking, one of the most boring games in the tournament is Minnesota State and Mankato, uh, 24-1, and taking on Quinnipiac, 17-7-4. I've been very adamant about this. I do not believe that Quinnipiac is that good of a program. They have a couple of good players. Players like Tufty are very good. I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from them there. I mean, hell, Tufty's a, a Hobie Baker finalist. And there's... There's an argument to be had there. I'm willing to listen to them that they're fairly good. I mean, DeJong's not bad either. Uh, guy puts up 29 points in 28 games. He's a solid player. That said, I still uh, are tough though, my mistake. He put up nearly 50 points in 28 games, tough though. So, I mean, like, there's talent there, but they didn't play anybody. That's been my gripe against both of these teams. They played no one. Quinnipiac played Clarkson, St. Lawrence, in Colgate. Two traditional bottom feeders. St. Lawrence, who just got lucky and kind of fell ass backwards into an auto bid, which they should have then had COVID to take that away from them. Colgate, that hasn't been good in years. And Clarkson, who again, you cannot judge 
because they played the same slate. I mean, yeah, Quinnipiac also had Bowling Green that they lost to in a handful of other games, but they didn't really play anyone. I don't know how you can really compare when this is your conference schedule and you couldn't win your conference. Quite frankly, I had them as kind of a border team like BU in my mind. Both of those teams, I think, in a different year where we got to see more out of teams or if there was another one or two teams, like let's say Denver was 500, then I would have said, you know, maybe Denver should be in in place of one of those two. That's not the case and those are hypotheticals, so we can't really speculate on that. So... Really, we have to dis- debate the matchup at hand here. I don't think Quinnipiac's that great. They didn't play too many teams. Minnesota State at least played against other tournament teams and played well against them, like Bemidji and Lake Superior. So I give give them credit there. They did lose to Northern Michigan in the conference tournament, which is certainly a uh, less than ideal scenario. It's also not a good look at all. That said, they do have Dryden McKay, who's probably the best goaltender in college hockey at the moment. Uh, Just insane numbers here. If I can pull those up fairly quickly, I'll I'll tell you what I mean there. Yeah, Dryden McKay in 23 games played. Get get rid of that search bar. There we go. Uh, Dryden McKay in 23 games played, 19 wins, 3 losses. And he had a save percentage of .930. So a 930 save percentage with a 4.1 goals against. Just insane numbers. Truly, truly insane numbers. And I don't know how how you're going to beat him, but Quinnipiac has the high-scoring talent. I expect that high-scoring talent to come through. I expect Quinnipiac to win this. I do think they are a better team than Minnesota State is overall. But like I said, it's a very evenly matched game, and I will probably be watching that one before switching over to the North Dakota game. We have Minnesota Quinnipiac. This is more or less a formality. It's March 28th, so it's the Sunday game, 8 o'clock, the late one that day on ESPN2. I have Minnesota beating the hell out of Quinnipiac. I don't think it's going to be particularly close. I think it's probably going to be like a 5-1 game. I have that much faith in Minnesota to go to the final against Boston College. I think that they are going to be just steamrolling Quinnipiac, because like I said, uh, these are really just, these are two teams that are fighting for the right to lose to Minnesota when it comes to Minnesota State and Quinnipiac, in my mind. So with that, we go to the final region, Wisconsin versus Bemidji at 29-1 and one Wisconsin team versus a 15-9-3. They kick off the tournament. They are the first game on Friday, March 26th. That's a 1 o'clock start on ESPN2. I have Wisconsin winning. Just simply put, Bemidji, great year for you. You did better than you thought you were going to do. You also just earned the right to get blasted by Cole Caulfield, Dylan Holloway, and the rest of the bunch. So I I expect Wisconsin to win this fairly handily. Maybe Bemidji makes it close for a period or two, but in the end, it's going to wind up being Wisconsin that kind of runs away with this one, in my mind. Uh, We go to Lake Superior State at 19-6-3. They are a March 26th game as well, uh, 6.30 start time on ESPNU. They are playing uh, Mass, which is UMass Amherst. Uh, UMass Amherst is just simply put a better team. They have more NHL prospects, so I guess more talent on that front. They played a really weird schedule. They were shut down for a period of time due to COVID as well. Their record, I'm not sure, necessarily indicates uh, enough about them. They won their conference tournament, so technically they're hockey's champions. I think they're a better team than Lake Superior State. Lake is not a terrible team, but again, they overachieved. They won their conference tournament to get in here, and... uh, all in all, 
I expect it to be a fun game, certainly, but I also expect it to be UMass pulling out in this one. And I think UMass should, uh, should win this. Uh, I will say it will depend heavily when it comes down to goaltending. I think that's what this comes down to. Uh, as far as defending goes, I think UMass is just a better team in that regard. Uh, if you want to look at the numbers here, because this is one of those matchups where I really don't see a lot of WCHA teams, so I have a hard time really judging them. And, uh, I mean, if you want to go to goals against per game here, you're... Yeah, I mean, Lake Superior is a quality opponent. They are a top, it looks like top 10 team. Only about two goals against per game. And Quinnipiac's actually uh, less than two goals a game, too. So that really makes me feel good about the Quinnipiac pick. But unfortunately for them, Minnesota's like right behind them at exactly two. So, I mean, like like I said, uh, Minnesota State actually is the best at a goal and a half per game for whatever that's worth. But also Massachusetts is 1.8. So, I mean, like, it's not going to be a high-scoring affair. It's going to come down, like I said, to goaltending. Whoever's got the better goal, he's going to win. Simple as that. I expect UMass to beat Wisconsin in the final round and the final regional final, I guess would be. That is Saturday, March 27th, 5 o'clock start. ESPNU. It's in Bridgeport. So I think, honestly, Wisconsin is a little overhyped. I never believe in Granada because his team's historically underperform. I'm not saying anything is different about this. I'm saying that UMass is just a better defensive team, and sure, Wisconsin can light them up, but like I said, I think UMass, they're going to pull it out. I think it's going to be, like like I said, I think it's going to be a 3-2 game. I think we're going to see a lot of games like that, and in the end, I think UMass is going to take that last Frozen Four spot, and they're going to play North Dakota. And so with that, we can go to the Frozen Four, and I'll get my predictions for that, and then the then from there, and we'll go, we'll go from there. So I'll start with kind of the... The one that we first talked about, North Dakota, UMass, as the Frozen Four matchup there. This is a very interesting team. Both teams are very solid defensively. Both teams can also score, and that's certainly a plus there. I mean, UMass scores three and a half, 3.44 goals a game. Uh, as far as North Dakota, though, they score 3.96 goals a game. That's a sizable difference. Likewise, North Dakota is not really slouching in goals against either. They're a 1.96 a game. They normally win games 4-2. to two. That's what that can tell you. As far as uh, Massachusetts goes, they normally win games 3-2. to two. That's what the numbers bear out. So realistically, again, and keep in mind, they have a good penalty call as well in Massachusetts, but I think when it comes down to it, again, you just got to look at overall teams. I think UMass will push them. I think they're not going to let Pinto do what he wants to do. I don't think he's, they're going to let Kyle Gucci do what he wants to do. I don't think he's gonna, they're going to let Reese Gaber do what he wants to do. I don't think Jake Sanderson's going to be able to take over like he likes to do. But UMass is not the same UMass team they were when they had Kale McCurr. They do not have a Kale McCurr nowadays. They have other players. They got guys like Zach Jones that are very good. They have talented guys, no doubt. But they don't have a game breaker. And in big time games, if you say the rosters are about equal, which I'd say North Dakota has a better overall roster, because again, I cannot understate how big it is to be able to just constantly roll out line after line after line and see very little uh, difference between the lines, I want to say. You know, they're roughly the same quality. Obviously, top line guys are better, but still, they're roughly the same. North Dakota just has more game breakers. And so, say you shut down Pinto, Hobie Baker finalist. Let's say you shut down Kawaguchi, Hobie Baker, Hobie Baker finalist in 2020. Let's say you shut down Sanderson, top five draft pick in this past year's draft. Let's say you shut down Kirstead, top unrestricted uh, or top 
undrafted free agent. Let's say you manage to shut down Bernard Docker. We'll say he's back by that point because that'll be about eh, just under a month since he got hurt. Let's say you manage to shut down Clevin. Let's say you manage to shut down Weathersby. Let's say you shut down Gaper. Well, you still have to deal with guys like Colin Adams is certainly a guy you still got to deal with. There's still other guys. The lineup's just so deep that it's very hard to be doing that kind of shutdown defense the whole way through. And as we saw against St. Cloud State, a very talented team that I'd say is roughly on the same level as uh, UMass. North Dakota just kept it close the whole way. St. Cloud dominated play for large swaths of this game. And then they collapsed for about a two-minute period where North Dakota scored three goals, took a two-goal lead, and that was all she wrote. That's all it needs. All you need is a breakdown for two minutes. And it's easy enough to play good defensive hockey for 20 minutes. Hell, even for 40 minutes, you can do it. But as you get to minute 45, minute 50, minute 55, your legs get tired. You get tired. You've been battling along the boards all day. You've been getting hit. You've been blocking shots. You've been going up and down, up and down, up and down all the time. It starts to wear on you. The fatigue gets to you, especially if you're every time you're going over the boards, it's a new challenge. It's like, okay, great. We stopped the Kawaguchi and Adams line. Well, now we got to stop Pinto and Gaber's line. Well, now we got to stop Weathersby and Sendon's line. Okay, well, we got the fourth line that's out there now. Oh, wait, they're just like a wrecking ball line where they're just there to burn our energy and make us be trapped in this offensive zone for a chunk of time and really buy time for the rest of them to rest on the bench. And then you go, okay, well, at least when we got into their zone, uh, we had something easy. Well, no, you didn't because you had Kirsten and you had... Bernard Docker there, who are two amazing defenders that can easily turn plays into transition to have a breakaway going the other way. Same thing with Jake Sanderson, who plays almost like a forward, but is very defensively responsible and, quite frankly, does not play like an 18-year-old. He's playing like he's a 24-year-old. He plays like he's already in the National Hockey League, and it's amazing to watch. And he's paired with Tyler Clevin, a guy who, quite frankly, you do not carry the puck in along the boards when Tyler Clevin's there, because he's going to make you pay. It's going to be a big hit, and you're going to regret it. He's going to just be... He's like a rich man's Ryan Lindgren for Ranger fans. That's the best way of describing him. He's just a real pain-in-the-ass type player. The kind of defensive defenseman you want, he can contribute on offense, sure, but defensively is where he is just so valuable. And even that bottom pairing, like, great, we're going to put Gabe Bass or Cooper Moore, and we're going to put him with with, uh, Fritch. Fritch is a guy where I really like the way he's developing into. I think Cooper Moore is also taking big strides here, a Detroit prospect. This this is just such a team where it's like, well, where is the weak spot on it? There is no weak point in attacking. As long as North Dakota keeps its, its battle plan and is able to stay in its formations, there is no real beating this team. And even let's say you do find a weak spot and you get through. You have Adam Shield, who's one of the top five goaltenders in the country. There is no real point where you can go, oh, there's a weak spot here and we can really capitalize on this. There is nothing here. There is no way to really get through. And I think with a team like UMass, that really isn't an offensively focused team and just doesn't have the depth to keep rolling, that you can keep it close for the first 50 minutes, but that last 10, you're going to be struggling. And even if you're struggling through that last 10 and you manage to get to a tie, you still have overtime. 
and now that fatigue's really going to set in. And this is where playing your top line only about 20 to 23 minutes, as opposed to having to play them 25, 26 minutes, really starts to make make a big difference. Because you think, oh, it's only three minutes. But those are big three minutes. Those are three minutes of going all out. This is like a full sprint for those extra three minutes. And there's only so much you can keep in reserve in the tank to dig into. And so I just think North Dakota, just by a war of attrition, has the edge there. We switched to Minnesota Boston College. This honestly could be one of the best games of the tournament. I know I've said that for a couple of these matchups here, but this is probably the more interesting Frozen Four matchup, certainly. Minnesota, again, with a guy like LaFontaine in that, is a solid defensive matchup here or for goaltending-wise because it's going to be Knight versus LaFontaine. Two, again, tremendously talented goaltenders. Both have some high-level talent. And I like I said, I haven't watched enough Minnesota and I haven't watched enough Boston College to really be able to accurately get a feel for it. But Boston College is a bit of a younger team compared to Minnesota. I think Minnesota's the better team. And I only say that because, well, they just play a more complete game from what I saw. They're a team that can score. They're a team that can defend. I know these are cliches, but these are cliches that do make a difference here. I mean, if you want to look at us at Minnesota, 3.79 goals a game with only two goals against. That's a compelling number versus a Boston College team that scores 3.48 goals a game and gives up. Um, I made my mistake. I was reading the wrong number there. I was reading the Bowling Green line. Yeah, Boston College 3.91 goals a game to 3.25 goals a game. And so you have to ask yourself, is a higher scoring team as effective against a better goaltender? And I think that answer is no. And again, with Hockey East this year in particular, it's hard to say because your roster or your schedule rather was never really the the same week to week so those numbers are inherently uh with an asterisk in my mind so for me i say minnesota because i value a better defensive team than a better offensive team i think they go to the frozen four on the back of lafontaine able to shut down uh the boston college attack and that's, that's my, my final here. So my final here and those semifinal games we played on April 10th at either five or nine, uh, at night, depending the, just looking to figure out there. And I guess it depends on who isn't playing to decide, okay, if the East Coast teams will put earlier and the West Coasters will put later. But, uh, but in any case, we get to our championship game is April 10th. It's seven o'clock on ESPN. It is North Dakota. It's Minnesota. It is Duke. It is. UNC, it is Michigan, it is Ohio State, it is Yankees, it is Red Sox, it is Celtics, it is Lakers. That is what we're dealing with here. That's how good of a rivalry we have here. This is a traditional rivalry. It goes back to before the Big Ten ruined college hockey by stealing all the WCHA teams that have a history playing against North Dakota and the Denver's of the world. This is just like... This would be a dream to watch for college hockey fans, but it would equally be like a nightmare for fans of each team because this is just like the team you don't want to lose to. You really don't want to lose to them, but you want to beat them so much to win that national championship. North Dakota in pursuit of number nine. I got to say, I I understand I have a homer bias, but when you have a team that is the best team in the nation, is it really a bias? Of course, Shield LaFontaine, I think, 
it's kind of like the La Fontaine versus Knight. I think they're fairly comparable. Maybe La Fontaine's a bit better. But again, the same reason I said North Dakota will beat Duluth, the same reason I said they beat UMass, is the same reason I'm going to say they're going to beat Minnesota. And I know it's repetitive, and I know you already know what I'm going to say. But depth kills. It just does. At the end of the day, if you're a team that can roll four lines, you're a team that can win college hockey games. You're a team that can win just games in general. And at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, whose top line is better? Even if you say, okay, Minnesota. Whose second line is better? Okay, it's Minnesota. Who's third line? Now it's North Dakota. Now it's North Dakota. Now it's North Dakota as you keep going through it. And overall, it just becomes blatantly clear that Minnesota is not able to keep up with North Dakota. It's just the reality of the situation. Sure, like I said, they, they're they a good team. They played well this year, and they, they deserve the compliment for that. But uh, in the end, when you roll out guys like Shane Pinto, Jesper Weathersby, Jordan Kawaguchi, Colin Adams, Mark Sinden, Reese Gaber, and the line just keeps going. And that's just on the forward and then on defense. Matt Kierstad, Bernard Docker, Jake Sanderson, uh, Tyler Clevin. Then you just keep going and you just keep going and you just keep going and you just can't keep up with that. Like, yeah, sure, Jackson Lacombe's a good player on Minnesota. Sammy Walker's not a bad player. Coster's a decent player for a freshman. Brock Faber's an interesting guy. There are players here that are, you know, Ryan Johnson, another good player. They're Perbix, he's another good player. These are they do have good players here. Sam Paul Rantanen, Aranta is a he's probably one of the better players here. Like I said, I give them credit. They are a good team. They're just not good enough to beat a stacked North Dakota team. It's it, either way though, it will be a very close final. It'll be a fun one to uh, to watch. And after talking for an hour on end, actually over that because I talked for about 10 minutes prior to that that I scrapped that recording I'm kind of running out of steam here I'm going to wrap it up at this I expect North Dakota to win Notre Dame shouldn't be in and I'm going to be very interested to see how this plays out and Friday through Sunday I'm going to be in hog heaven gorging myself in front of a TV watching collegiate hockey as anyone should do so with that said, I got nothing else left to add. This was a bonus episode. It was about an hour long. I hope you guys enjoyed it. And you'll get my full thoughts on how the first two rounds uh, worked out. Not on this week's show, but next week's show, episode 108. It'll probably be my thing to add. So you'll get my thoughts on all of that. And uh, I will talk to you guys again on Saturday when we bring you actual independently baseball content. But until then... You know the drill here. Don't forget to play 